Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So why don't dinosaurs talk? Because they're dead. I tried to nix that joke just for the record. I hey, no. I had a kid from Harvest Ridge tell me that one. Mm-hmm. All right, this is. This, do you want to try to get this one right? Oh, sure, I did. You get it <laughs> I wrong. I did it first totally service. wrong for sure. Okay, right. a priest and a rabbi walked into a bar. They said, "Ouch." <laughs> Next week, I get to pick the jokes. I'm just saying. So, send them to rcrow at harvestridge.net. I'm taking. No, I'm ta- you'll get yeah. way too many jokes. If you have all a good bad. joke that's clean, send it to me. We might make the cut for next week's joke. All right, all right. Um, so, um, you know, about, um, what, about 20 years ago, it was probably a good, almost 20 years ago, we had a great fight. We had a great fight in our marriage. It caused because I was listening to Love and Respect book on audio. I was driving back from Ashland, and uh, we had a really, really good fight. So if you want to have a really good fight, come to Love and Respect. There we go. That's the plug. No, seriously, 35 years we've been married. You're 15. I will say this book changed our relationship to the better. And we are encouraging you guys, sign up today. Hey, for 40 bucks, you go to McDonald's for 40 bucks right now, right? It's so expensive to eat out. This includes your snacks, your meals, great teaching, great interaction with other people. I'm telling you, it is a worth your time, worth your money. I know people say, well, you know, I have to work. You know what, guys? Your marriage is worth it. I would say Just take off and go it. sign up today. Do it. All right. All right. So we're going we're gonna to try to stay to time today. Today we're going to be in the book of Song of Solomon. That's where we're going to be. Anybody? Has anybody has read? Has anybody read Song of Solomon? Wave at me if you've read it. Most of you haven't. Twice. <laughs> they got a good marriage down yeah, here. That's so all I'm going to say. Right. So um, do, you, do you know a family, though, that um, they're in total disarray? Now, we thought about this when we were going to preach this message. I thought of a few illustrations of people whose life was in total disarray, you know, their marriage, their family, their kids. I thought of those illustrations. Every time I brought them up, my wife kept saying, no, 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 no. So instead, we found a picture that sort of illustrates what some of your families so, might look like. So my granddaughter always comes in our house, and this is her little food basket. And she will come in, walk straight through the door, take her basket, and go poop and turn it upside down. And those hamburger buns and everything goes everywhere. And then she'll keep going on and walking on. We call her Hurricane Fallon. But The fact of the matter is, those pieces and parts are everywhere. And sometimes in our lives and in our houses, that's how we feel. Everybody's going every direction. Our houses are in total disarray. How do we get it all back in the basket? So these next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about our house. And I almost called it my house, uh, so you could repeat my house. But I think we need to do this, our house. And the reason is, we're talking about our house here and it's going to affect your house or our house, and then it's going to affect how we all interact together in our house, 
uh, God's house, understanding that our house is what we're responsible for. We live in a culture that we want to be rude. We want to comment on everybody else's house. Um, <clears throat> be it the White House or your neighbor's house or whoever's house. But I think uh, what we should probably do is we should focus on getting our house straight before we start worrying about everybody else's house. So uh, the title, Our House, has to do with um, our house here and has to do with our house, and you can make it about you and the ones you're with, our house. Now, that being said, um, there was a verse that seemed to naturally flow. We're going to go to Song of Solomon, and we're going to spend our entire time walking through the book, but I thought there was a verse that we should use to start with, so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and honor God's Word, and we're going to look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And uh, the way I memorized it, it wasn't household. So I'm not going to say household. I'm going to say house. Okay? Y'all got me? All right, you ready? You, you might want to say this with me. Y'all ready? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One more time. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there's a declaration there. You've got a right to choose what you want to do with your life. But I've got a responsibility for what I've got to do with my life. And as for me and my house, we're going to be devoted to God. We're going to serve the Lord. That's our house rules, if you will. Our house rules says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, Father, I pray that today you would bless your word as we hear it. We walk through it here in the book of Song of Solomon. We talk about our house, that um, we, would, um, we would submit ourselves to you. And that we would declare your lordship over our house, over our lives, and over this house of which we're a part together. Pray your blessing upon us and bless those who are here today. You know what, God? Uh, we're talking about some sensitive stuff. And if anybody's got their panties in a wad coming in here, just unwad them, okay? We don't need any of that today. Anybody got their nighty in a bundle? Anybody got <laughs> their, I mean, they're just, they're just going to be grumpy if we talk about sex. I just pray right now you would just reach down and slap them really hard. <laughs> I mean that, God, because we need to embrace the truth of this life. Let us hear it. Let our hearts be open. I pray that you would speak your truth in spite of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. 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 Turn, give somebody a big high five, big smile. Might actually be nice to them. There you go. If you're online, high five. Well, whatever. So we are talking about Song of Solomon. So this is, uh, we're keeping it. PG, PG 13-ish, so if you have a trying. little one in here trying, uh, we're just telling you though, I, I will tell you that I, I work with teenagers, I, you know, and there is nothing more right, I'm gonna say, than talking about true, um, what God desires for us in a marriage than in the church. And there's no reason that we have to be ashamed. Well, I can't believe we talked about that in church today, yes. Because you know what? They're getting it everywhere else. Why not here? Why not get a good view of everything, of that, of our sex, life, and identity, and everything here at Harvest Ridge? Because you know what? This is where truth is. And I'd rather them hear it from us than somebody else. So, um, By the way, just so you know, 
I, uh, I got really in trouble when I was in the fourth grade for telling a joke I learned at church. So if you've got a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, they've already heard worse than we'll say mm -hmm. today. So uh, just relax, all right? Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right, here we go. So house we have, rules. Th we have three house rules for our house. Our house and our house. Right. Yeah, these and are the first houses. one is Jesus is the Lord of our house. That's the first, first and foremost. So Jesus gets a right to tell us what we do, what we don't do, why we do it, and how we do it. You all got that? He's Lord. Lord means boss. He's the boss, and I submit to him, you submit to him, our household submits to him. It'll right? go a lot easier if, those, if that first rule is followed. Things in life go a lot easier. Number two. Number two, dad and mom love and prioritize each other. All right, I, uh, I told our kids when I found this out, I read a report and they gave this illustration, so I just kept regurgitating this illustration, that let's say we're on a ship out in the middle of the ocean and the ship sinks and it's me and my wife and our three kids in the lifeboat. And there are two life jackets in the lifeboat and the rubber lifeboat gets a hole in it. Well, she is getting my life jacket because I swore to God that I would put her first above every other person in this world. Right? Isn't that what I said when I took my vows of marriage? I, I will love you, honor you, forsaking all others. You're first. So she's getting my life jacket. Well, she made those same vows to back to me, so I'm getting her life jacket too. So I'm getting her life jacket, and she's getting mine, and our three kids are dead. <laughs> And you know what the, the report I read was saying about that statement? They said a child that w grows up in a household where mom prioritizes dad and dad prioritizes my, mom over their children, those are the kids that grow up to be the most emotionally healthy and stable because they have security and stability in their world. And I think part of the problem that we have in our culture is we let the little rugrats run our house rather than letting us be where we're supposed to be devoted. So we love each other, and I prioritize her first. And, and you know what? If you come to me and you tell me, I talked to a guy about this after service, uh, uh, first service. If you come to me and tell me, oh, my life's a wreck. Could you talk to me? And my wife says, I need you. Guess what? Your life was a wreck before you came and talked to me. <laughs> and you probably aren't going to listen to me anyway. So she's a priority if she needs me. I'm sitting at a restaurant or we're sitting in a counseling situation and she calls, guess who I'm answering? Her. Do you know why? You know what the number one priority in my life on this earth is? Her. Period. Okay? And you see that smile? Did y'all see that, ladies? That's the smile of a woman that knows <laughs> that her husband puts her first. Uh, our culture doesn't like this. And... Yeah, we just need to do it. And then last but not least, the house rule is we strive to raise godly, self-supporting, healthy adults. We'll talk about that next week. Mm -hmm. All right. So Song of Solomon, we're going to talk about that. Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending what it says in your uh, version. Um, it says in Sol uh, Song of Solomon 1.1, Solomon's Song of Songs. So it could be Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. I don't care what the name of it is. Um, um, it's 
speaking about the same thing. This is literally a song written by Solomon to his Ethiopian, or not Ethiopian, his Egyptian bride. And he is enamored with her and in love with her. And she is like the bomb.com in his eyes. And that's what this is about. So in your NIV study Bible notes, it says, the wisdom writer celebrates the sexual union between a man and a woman as a joyful part of marital life in God's good creation. So what's going on here is this song is going to be about sexual union. Yes. Uh, between a man and a woman. And another quote from the NIV study Bible notes, the Bible speaks of both wisdom and love as gifts from God to be received with gratitude and celebration. So this book is a book of wisdom and it is a book of love and it is a book worth reading. Some though in interpreting the Song of Solomon have reduced the Song of Solomon to an allegory between God and his church or God and Israel and they're trying to make it into an allegory. Although the, the song is written in a way that allegorical uh, interpretations could be appropriate, because songs are always allegorical, by the way, um, as we'll find out a little later, there's some allegory in descriptions. But as, as long as we understand that that's okay, but it's not the meaning. It's okay to bring the allegories out, but the meaning is that this is poetry and song of a man saying to his woman, I want you, baby, and her saying to him, I want you, you stud muffin. <laughs> in those words, actually. That's in, that's in the NIV study Bible. That's the, the song Crow, of Kevin. That was Crow nearly inspired version right there. So. All right. So, <laughs> um, so the, we're going to look at five practical themes in Song of Solomon that teach us how to have healthy relationships. Um, so the first one's going to be intentionality. So how you started will determine how you end. So how does the Song of Solomon start? 1-2, verse 1-2 says this. Let him kiss me <laughs> with the kisses of his mouth. I told him, please don't use the creepy voice I when you read all of voice. this in the Song it. of I Solomon. There's it. a lot of scripture we're going to be reading. Please don't do this to me every time. No. <laughs> Go ahead. You should no. read it then. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. read this one. I'll read this one. I won't read them all, though. They're a little risky. Um, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That's it. That would be... <laughs> all right, so, so how do you start? How does it start? With a kiss, right? So you guys think back. You married couples in here. Think back of when you first started dating, okay? Um, there's a lot of kissing involved. Plug your ears. Your parents, I'm talking to their parents right now. So... Here's the thing, guys. We, we remained, and I'm going to qualify this, what we're about to say. We remained sexually pure until we got married because that was a high priority. Yeah, he's doing this because nothing from here down gets touched. And we did that for a reason. I knew that if I crossed that line, it was over. Ladies, listen to me. I knew that if I crossed that line, our relationship was done. So what you value you follow. So that's, that was our value. So we did kiss though. I'll be honest with you. We did kiss. So we before did. we kiss, let me show you where a kiss goes though. All right. So why you <laughs> got to be careful because it, the song of Solomon starts with let him kiss me. And the very last verse, this is the very last oh, verse, yeah. song of Solomon 8:14. come away, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the spice laden mountains. That's yeah, the see, end you of get it. what he's saying there, right? Okay. 
So notice in the first chapter, he's starting with a kiss and he's ending with a womp womp, okay? <laughs> so, so that's how the, the book one, ends. Yeah, one thing before you tell your story. Uh, I hear people say stuff like this all the time. How are you going to know if the shoe fits unless you try it on? Anybody ever hear that? Like, you got to have sex with somebody before you know if you're compatible with them? That's bull. Because here's the deal. You can tell from a kiss everything you need to know about what sex will be like. Anybody that tells you different is lying. Because here, here's what you know from a kiss. I knew from kissing this lady that I was going to have a great life. You know how I could tell? <laughs> I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Do, you know, do you know why? She was responsive. She cared. She was like, into me. Into me. You know what that meant? It meant that she was participating with the kissing and initiating the kissing. All right. So all you really need to know. You don't need to know any more than that. Trust me. We've been married for 35 years. We dated for what, nine months before we got engaged? Nine months, yep. Yeah. So a little bit over a year we dated and then we got married. Uh, in, in that year, one year, 35 years with 30 more to go, bro. What are you going to spend your time on? I'd rather do it right at the first year so I get the 55 of really good after the fact. Or yeah. 60. All Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So um, I'm going to tell this story. I think I've only ever told it publicly one time, and that was for first service. So <laughs> I told you, we did kiss. This is not highly recommended, though. But we were on our way. We were good Bible college students. So we were at church on Sunday night. All right? We were good Christians. We were then. good Christians and good Bible college. So anyway, we're on our way home from church on Sunday night. And this is not recommended. It was on the interstate. I was I, driving below the speed limit. So I... We were kissing while she he was driving. She came over and wanted to smooch on me. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's how it happened. I wanted to smooch. No, seriously. So I was, we were kissing. Okay. Well, that, he wasn't paying attention to where he was driving, which caused him to wiggle, which caused us to be pulled over by the police, which caused them to think we were drunk, which caused the police officer to make him walk the line to prove that he wasn't drunk. <laughs> Because you know what you don't want to tell a police officer? We were just kissing. No, that's, that's a terrible thing to say, too. So I don't know which was worse at that point. But, uh, yeah, they made him walk the line to show that he wasn't drunk because he was weaving. And that wasn't the first altercation that we had with the law just from kissing. Don't say I won't all say that. anymore, though. I'm not, I'll leave that for next year's. Next year's, maybe. I'm drunk on your love. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> all right. Oh. All right. So, um, what, so... What I'm talking to you about is back in the day, we obviously liked each other, right? right? We obviously still do. But uh, I talk to people all the time. They're like, well, you know, my marriage sucks now, and we don't even like each other, and blah, blah, blah. And what, here's what I would say is, you didn't stand at an altar and say, I pledge to hate you and to be grumpy <laughs> to you every day of your life and only complain about you to everybody I talk to. You don't do that, do you? You swear your love. You stand at an altar. You're all gushy and starry-eyed. You want to get married because you love them. So something happens to take you from that love. What happens if you move away from that love? Well, there's an opportunity for you to rediscover your love. How do you do that? Do you want to read it? Song of Solomon 1-7 says, Tell me, 
you whom I love, where do you graze your flock? And where do you rest your sheep at midday? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and gaze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. All right, that, that's awfully flowery. Can I explain what he's saying here? Saying, oh, you, you love this man and you don't know where he is. Well, then follow the tracks to where he is. Follow the signs. Actually, people tell me all the time, I don't seem to feel God. I don't feel God. And, you know, I, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, follow the tracks, the tracks of the sheep. Where are the tracks of the sheep at, by the way? Here in the house of God, in the church, in a small group, right? Follow the tracks. Follow the signs. You know, if, if you want to have a relationship with a person, find out what they like and get where they like and spend some time with them doing what they like. My wife plays golf with me. Do you love golf? I do not love golf. <laughs> Why then do you play golf with me? One is to collect golf balls that are lost by everybody else. I have deemed that my job in life. Okay. You too, Julie. Okay. The second is because we get to spend time together. And I do like being outside so I can kill two birds with one stone and we get to spend time together. So if you want to grow in love with a person, you go back and you do things together. Right. So this morning in first service, um, there was a couple there that I had met for the first time last week. And um, they were asking for prayer. And I went back. And uh, her name is Janet. And she said, we've been married for 70 years. 70 years. And she said to me, you know, I would do it all over again. And I said, I turned to her husband, I said, did you hear what she said? She'd do it all over again with you. And, he, and she said, yes, you know what the secret is? She said, do things together. She said, we would bowl, we would camp, we did all kinds of things together. She said, yeah, there were ups and downs, but way more good times than bad, because they chose to do things together. And I said, do you mind if I use you as an example? She said, I don't mind a bit. So she was here in first service again, and I just wanna say, you want to be 70 years married and still like each other? You gotta do stuff together. Right. So follow the tracks to get where they are and do it together. So you be active about this, not passive. And the problem I have with love relationships and, and so many relationships that I have that are breaking down is people are passive. Um, they, they just expect that it's always going to be good. Does your yard look good because you just wake up and expect it to look good? No? It doesn't? You have to actually work at it. So if you want a marriage that's any good, what do you actually have to do? Work at it. You have to be active. So this uh, Song of Solomon 6.12 is uh, one of the more difficult passages in the entire Old Testament to translate according to the notes I read on it. It says, before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. And what this means is, you know, it just sort of sounds sort of passe, but it's an idiom uh, in the original language. And the original language carries some clouded uh, statement. But what it's saying at its core is, you ready for this? She said, I wanted to see him so bad I did something stupid. If you read the following context, she wanted to see him so bad, she like took a chance. Um, love doesn't just happen. You have to do something. Hold on. Guys, listen to me in the room. Listen to me, guys. If that girl caught your eye and you want to have a relationship with her, 
love doesn't just happen. You actually have to do something. So, you know, after church, walk up to her and say, I'm following the tracks of the sheep. Would you like to go out with me? I don't know. I... So romantic. It's, it's called 1-800-DATE-AT-HARVESTRIDGE.COM yeah, in case you're wondering. Yeah. Just kidding. All right. All that to say, um, you have to do things because love just doesn't happen. You have to be intentional about doing things to keep romance, passion, desire, and relationship alive. So I meant to bring this illustration with me because, um, but last year we celebrated 35 years and there were some things that went haywire with the trip and we decided to go on a, a trip. And in any case, I found we were traveling. Well, when you travel, you travel light. Like you're not going to take a thing, of, a bouquet of flowers or something. I found boxers that had chili peppers on them. And I said, I'm going to get this with the card. And um, mind you, no, I wasn't going to bring dirty boxers in here. They went in a drawer. They're a symbol, though, that I was going to do something special. I was going to do. So I lugged those things all around Europe until it was our anniversary. And then so I could say, here, you know, just to do something special, what have you done recently that shows your spouse that they're just special to you? Mm. All right. So two more thoughts real quick. Uh, expectations that are uncommunicated are unkind. Expectations that are uncommunicated are unkind. This is a story that happened, uh, clear as, I'll, I'll try to make it as PG as I can. A guy was complaining that he wasn't having sex with his wife. So I said to him, have you asked? And he said, no, she should know that. And I said, dude, you're being stupid, ask. So I still get fist bumps to this very day <laughs> because her response was, oh, that's why you're so angry? We can take care of that. <laughs> but you see, he had an expectation of her that he wasn't talking to her about, and that was causing a problem in their relationship. And another one is the infamous story. Yeah, so this happens a lot in our house because... I'm probably, I talk a lot, but I might not be the best emotional communicator. Okay, I know that's hard to believe because I could talk to a wall. However, he'll come and he likes to play golf. And he'll say, do you mind if I go this afternoon and play golf? So let's go back to the original day this happened. Okay. I asked you a question. I said, can I play can golf? Can I play golf? And her response was, if you want to. Well, I asked because I, right? So guess what? I went and played golf. And about the fourth or fifth hole, I could feel the cloud. <laughs> now, we are emotionally connected somehow, and I can't explain this, but even though we're miles apart, I knew that the storm was brewing. And it was really hard to enjoy the golf while the cloud was up there, and I knew that the world was falling apart. And I walked through the door, and sure enough, she's furious at me. And I said, well, I asked. And she said, well, I didn't think you would go. Well, you told me I could. You asked that if, she said, I, I said, if you want to. I said, well, I asked because I If you don't want me to go, just say it. How hard is it to literally communicate what you really feel? In my case, it's very hard because I'm always like, you go have fun. And then I'm always like, why did I say what in the world was he thinking? So ladies, especially. What was he thinking? Yeah. You like that? <laughs> I didn't say what I wanted, but he's to blame. Of course, always. And um, so I will just say, 
you have to co you have to communicate and say, if you don't then you cannot stand around and complain about how your husband's not romantic anymore you know why because you've done nothing to help him know what well, what can what makes you feel like I you know what do you want you do you know if I ask you what do you want for your birthday do you know what I'm asking what do you want <laughs> Okay, that's kind of no fun, though. And if you though. don't want something, I'm going to make something up. So, but so, don't complain if it's not what you want. If I ask what you want. This is probably going way astray, but I will way tell you, astray. sometimes no. we go through Sam's Club, and they have beautiful roses, and he'll say, do you want some roses? And I'm like, I don't want to say yes. I want some of the... Just get them for me. Do you know what I mean? But that's wrong, because he truly wants to get them I'm for I'm wanting me. to buy them, but I have bought flowers for her before, and she's like, why'd you waste your money doing no. that? <laughs> I'm like, I shoot myself in the foot, okay? So make sure you communicate your expectations, because if you don't, well, We're it's going unkind. to Sam's Club, and she's getting roses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, expectations that are uncommunicated are unkind. You're being unkind to not tell somebody your expectations. All right, second of all, uh, deal with the little issues before they become too big. Song of Solomon 2.15 says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that, I can't read it on, that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So guys, I will tell you, Marriage 101, take care of problems before they become bigger and bigger and bigger and then blow up. So if you can take care and foresee and have an em enough emotional insight to say, maybe we should talk about this before I'm out of control and out of my mind screaming, it goes way better. So take care of the little stuff. That's the stuff that ruins, that's the stuff that ruins marriage. All right. So the second, uh, the second illustration of what marriage looks like, or second uh, statement, is beauty. Uh, there are several statements made in here, and I want to talk to you about what beauty is. Can you wait to put that? Don't put that picture up for a bit. I want to read it, okay? I'm just going to read. These words are not going to be a screen. I'm just going to read how he describes her, her language to describe her. Is that all right? And then we're going to put up a picture of what it actually looks like. All right, you ready? All right. <clears throat> Solomon, second song, Solomon 4, 1. You are beautiful, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veils are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. The temples behind your veils are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. So romantic. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them the shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, the twin fawns of gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. You like that? Yeah? All right, one more. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Can we put up a picture of what he's if describing? If you were to... An artist's depiction. <laughs> Just a few things to point out. Those are goats in her hair. That's a tower neck. Those are halves of pomegranates on her head. That's a, a bear collecting honey. Her eyes are doves. Let's not talk about the deer. Okay. The twin fawns. You love the twin fawns. She is gorgeous. She is gorgeous. You gorgeous, my dear. Gorgeous. <laughs> she is a gorgeous. Where is the beautiful girl? <laughs> ah, there she is. 
right. It's from a movie. Never. All right. Um, this so, is a celebration of unique beauty. And what he's doing is he's describing her and he is going into detail describing her uniqueness. Now, one thing I learned years ago, there was a song by Daniel Band called Lustful Illusion Years Ago. I heard it. It made a real impact on me because here's what it said. If guys listen to me, I'm talking to you specifically, guys, because really you don't care that a woman thinks you're beautiful. You want her to think you're awesomely studly. Yeah, you don't care if she thinks you're good looking. You care if she respect you. A woman wants to be valued as beautiful. And that's why all the images that our world is pumping into your brain are airbrushed and fake. They're fake because do you know what, you know what Satan's trying to do? He's trying to keep you from loving a real woman in her real beauty because he's filling your brain and your heart with airbrushed images. Um, so I do talk to ladies sometimes. And I talk to ladies whose husbands struggle with porn, and I'm going to be flat out honest with you, bar none, every single one of them will say, I can't compete with those images because they can't. You can't compete with a fake image. It's like a fake piece of fruit that is in your house. You know what? We all have to work through our own body images and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to tell you right now, the the human body gets older, and you're right, you can't compete with fake. So guys, please, 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 help your wives out. Don't look at those images, cause, and don't believe that they're real, because they aren't anything they are. you've seen in the past. It's not right. It's not real. It's fake, by the way. Um, yeah, just walk through the mall and look at the signs, and realize every single one of those signs are touched up and fake. They're all fake. By the way, half the girls now are guys. What's going on with that? I, did, anyway, have you noticed that? Anybody else notice the advertisements? Yeah, anyway, all right. All right, so real beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And, um, and we'll come back to this in a second. But if you're focused, it's more beautiful than if you aren't focused. And he was, Solomon was focused on his Egyptian queen. Yep. All right, so the third thing is enjoyment. Uh, enjoyment. Let's talk about this real quick. In case you're wondering, let me cut to the chase. I'm talking about sex, okay? So let's talk about what Song of Solomon says about sex. Um, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 12. You are a garden. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits and henna and nard and nard and saffron, calmus and cinnamon. I like cinnamon. I like that smell and every kind of incense tree with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. Come on, I've got to get my Barry White voice going for this. <laughs> you are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming <laughs> not, down from Lebanon. It's Lebanon. not Barry. That's not Barry. Wow. It's better than Barry. It's so much better. <laughs> Awake, north wind. Come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. That my beloved come into his garden and taste his choice fruits. There is an invitation there, people. So a couple of things we need to say about sex. A couple of things we need to say. Y'all ready? Oh, my part. Uh, sorry, I was two things. You were that getting we, all worked up by my reading. Why? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, where are we? Um, <laughs> So first, sex within marriage is beautiful and holy. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So within marriage, sex is great. 
outside marriage, it's not so great because you have baggage that goes into then your love relationship and your marriage relationship. So let me be honest. There are people in this room, your view of sex, just your whole view of sex, be it the way you were raised, your family of origin, whatever it is, maybe things that happened to you in the past. Your view of sex is that it's dirty, that it's wrong, that it's bad. No, no. Sex is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's like driving a car. Do you ask a two-year-old to drive a car on 480? They are not developed to the place they are ready to do it. So you become developed to the place where you're ready to have sex when you become married. And within marriage, it is honor and it's pure. It's honorable and it's pure. Outside of marriage, well, that's God's going to judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Outside of marriage. Keep it pure, guys. We're a perfect example. I mean, come on. You aren't going to tell me anybody has any stronger desires than I have. Especially with my past and the things that happened to me in my early childhood. And yet, I was able to keep my hands off of her. That's tough, no? <laughs> so, within marriage, what is it? Pure and honorable. All right, second thing about marriage. Sex within marriage is also what? Do you want to say that? Tell them. Um, it's just mundane. Oh, it's mundane sometimes. Why'd you make me say that? <laughs> well, because so it's true, boring. right? No, just kidding. It's mundane. So sex is an idol in our culture. Can we talk about this for just a second? Because um, in our world, people now identify themselves through sex. And it's like your identity is wrapped up in your sex. And if your identity is wrapped up in your sex, then that means sex is the most important thing to you. But yet... The Bible teaches us very clearly that God is to be the most important thing in our lives and we should shape our identity and our desires and even how we talk about ourselves based around what God says about us. So what happens is in our culture we are replacing, you ready for this? We are replacing God with sex. And then we wonder why none of us are ever satisfied. Well, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to live a life of contentment. You're never going to live a life of joy and peace as long as you kick God off the altar and you replace it with something that can or cannot happen according to what whims of the world happen your way. So I will throw in there that, yes, there's a lot around sex in our culture. But I will tell you there are highly developed, this, I'm not talking third world cultures that we have been in that do not have some of the same struggles that we in America have. So there's no way anybody can tell me that this is not a cultural thing that's going on because there's highly developed cultures that are not, are not in the same mindset as us. So what makes America different? I'm just throwing it out there. It's food to, th it's food to think about, right? So let's make sure our minds and our thoughts are godly and not just based around the, the water that we're swimming in. All right, so um, there are three different types of sex. It's like food, all right? My, somebody got us a gift card, and for uh, a special night, we went to, what is it, Morton's Steakhouse? Morton's. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, that I've never was, been there. That was so good. I mean, that was a special night. We used all the gift card and then some, and I'm like, <laughs> how can it be this expensive? But anyway, it was. But, man, we ate good, didn't mm -hmm. we? Oh, it was amazing. But that's once, twice a year, right? Yes. Right? And then we have dinner every night, right, where we make food and we eat every night, Right? right? So there's regular, there's special occasion sex, there's regular everyday <laughs> dinner sex, and then there's, hey, we don't have time to eat, let's just grab a snack as we run. 
One more thing, guys. <laughs> Let's talk. Can I talk to men real quick? I know your sex drive is high. You think about sex a thousand. Actually, a study I read said you, the average guy thinks about sex about 10,000 times a day. That's the average guy. And ladies, you're like, what? It's like they all, all they ever think of. And it's like, yeah, that's all we ever think about. And if you got a problem with that, that's just how guys are wired. And I know I've talked to enough of you guys. I know that's how all of you are. And if you claim you're not, then all right, you, you, you're the unicorn, all right? All the rest of us, we're just mules, all right? That's just how it is. All right, now all that being said, why does a guy think about and desire sex so much? There's a very simple reason, very simple reason, is because it's not easy loving one woman. It's not. You have to focus on it to make that happen. And God gave me this desire so I would continually be refocusing my desire on her. So it's like God gives you a passion, focus that passion where it belongs. That's why it's given that way. All right, so. Because guys can have a lot of passions, cars, sports. There's a lot of distractions in a marriage, okay, that can take time away. But with that God-given passion and drive and focus on us, his wife, the, your wife, um, guess what, guys? That's the best way to have a healthy marriage. And, you know, honestly, women, this is for you ladies out there, let him catch you. Help him. You know what? He, he wants to be with you. He wants to see you and have your interaction. But you know what? Sometimes we're so busy, caught up in what we're doing or who we're taking care of or how it's going with somebody else or because we're such caretakers that we push off our husbands and they get the stiff arm. And I'm going to encourage all you ladies in the place, let them catch you. So she was at the sink one day, and I came up to her and gave her a hug. Of course, it wasn't just a hug, because my kids always needed to see me doing a little more. They, they need to know that Dad was in the mom. So she's at the sink one day, and I come up to give her a hug, and she gave me the... <laughs> do do y'all know what I'm talking about? Does anybody yeah. in the room identify with this? If you know what I'm talking about, say, yeah. yeah. All right. So I came up to give a hug, and I got this. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is, I told her... Because in that moment, that actually hurt my feeling. Because I was just trying to be affectionate to her, and what I got was, you don't matter. And what we should do is if you want to have some health here, okay? If you want to have some health, guys, keep pursuing, even if you get the shrug. Ladies, stop the shrug. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, so just, you, you just do it up. Mm -hmm. So it up. a godly view of sex um, will be within the bounds of Scripture. I will tell you guys that if you, okay, if you are not having sex and you are a married couple, you need to go seek help. Right. We have talked to couples who have gone years. And I'm going to tell you, they are not happy. Nope. So, and it's not honoring God. No. So go see somebody and talk to somebody. If you have an unhealthy view of sex because of something in your past, I'm gonna say as well, go get healthy, go talk to somebody. They have great counselors out there just for that purpose. All right, one final thing. What is sex? You remember, anybody ever taken communion around here? You communion wafer and all that. So it is a celebration of the covenant. We're remembering the covenant that Jesus made with us when we take the wafer and drink the cup, right? 
It's a memory, all right? Sex is a memory of calling back a re-entering into the covenant that you made when you stood before God at an altar and said, you're my bride, I will love you, honor you, and keep myself to you. And that sexual moment is a re-entering into that covenant and a celebration of that covenant. All right, let's go to the next one. Exclusiveness, last one. Well, we got two more. So, so quick. Song of Solomon 2.16 says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. So, you know, in that picture, that we saw that was terrible of what he said, but uh, doves' eyes, because doves are very unique creatures. Let's talk about doves real quick. First, uh, Song of Solomon 115, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are doves. Song of Solomon 41, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Song of Solomon 512, now him. His eyes are like doves by the water stream. What's all this doves' eyes thing? Well, here's what you need to know about doves. Doves are binocular in their vision. Their eyes are binocular. Anybody ever look through binoculars? When you do, what are you doing? You're focusing on something there. There is no peripheral vision. There is nothing else to see except what is directly in front of you. So a dove's eyes mean that they are solely focused on the object they are looking at. Are you all following that? So notice how... There's an exclusiveness to this. I'm my beloved, my beloved is mine. That, there's, there's an exclusiveness. Eyes are doves, we only see each other. An exclusive relationship is, is meant to bring contentment. Song of Solomon 7.10 says, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. And she made me read this one. <laughs> I am a wall, my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Can I talk for just a second? Contentment. Just give me one minute. Mick Jagger was right. I can't get no satisfaction. There ain't no satisfaction. If you ever think you're going to satisfy your desires, you will never, ever satisfy your desires. You can sate them. You can be contented with the meeting of those needs, but you will never satisfy them. Anybody ever get hungry? Yes. So you eat, right? And you were satisfied for the rest of your life, right? No, you turn around, you get hungry again. So he does not say that you bring me satisfaction. He says you bring me contentment. And we need to learn to be contented with what we have because we will never be satisfied. No matter who you are, you're always going to think there's a better option somewhere among these 8 billion people in the world. And if you start thinking about it, you're going to start pursuing it. And if you start pursuing it, it's over with. So, contentment. And an exclusive commitment means that you sacrifice for the other person. Not a codependent kind of thing. We're talking about sometimes I lay down what I would prefer because I love my husband. So, Solomon had a vineyard in Bel Hammon. He let out its vineyard to its tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver, but my own vineyard, listen to what she says, my own vineyard is mine to give. A thousand shekels are for you, so a majority of it goes to you, Solomon. And the 200 for those who tend its fruit, what's she taking for herself? None. She's saying, I'm giving you everything. And uh, that's what exclusiveness is, is when there's an everything attitude. You get everything. And when it's, I get everything, then we know there's nothing to be spread around elsewhere. So 
This exclusive action means that we do what the other person prefers sometimes. Uh, so, perfect example. Every day, what do I bring you? A pop. Yes. A Diet Coke. Yeah, I, I, I know you love your Diet Coke, so I go to Circle K. I've joined us up with the Super Saver Club, <laughs> and I drive there every day to get her a pop. Why would I do that? Because I know she likes it. It would be better, it'd be just as, actually it'd be easier, it'd be everything else on me, just to go to the fridge and pull out a Diet Mountain Dew. But instead, I drive. I get her what she likes because she likes the flavor and the taste, and I go out of my way nearly every day of our life to get you what you like because you like it. You, you want to have a healthy relationship? That's what you do. All right, let's, uh, let's close this up here. Um, and the lastly, power. The most powerful force on earth is love. You want to read it? Song of Solomon 8, 6 through 7 says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. So jealousy happens within marriage? Huh? Mm -hmm. It should. By the way, you want to see her jealousy come up? Come at me. <laughs> right? I'm serious. Jealousy is proper. The jealousy is proper. Now, out of control jealousy is not. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all of the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Your relationship with your spouse is to be life-giving, life-sustaining. As a matter of fact, do you know that of there's very few relationships, actually there's only two, from birth to death that actually give you life? And that's first your relationship with God because God gives us life and you will only find that in Jesus Christ. And the second thing is the relationship with your spouse is the only other life-giving, life-building relationship that you have. Everything else sucks it away from you. Yes. So, um, so I tell you guys, the power of love we're talking about. Huey Lewis was right. You feel the power, the power of love, right? Anybody know the song? <laughs> all right, all right, good. So Huey Lewis was right. He said there is power to love. And um, uh, so I'll tell you a story. The guy's name was Mark Rapley. And his wife Chantel, they were out surfing one day. And a great white shark came up and nudged his wife, knocked her off the board, grabbed her leg, and started dragging her. And uh, Mark, I believe we got a picture of him, don't we? Do we, have, do we still have that picture? Mark, uh, anyway, there you go. Mark went after his wife. And according to um, Stephen Pierce, who was the chief executive of Life Saving at the beach, he, uh, he said, and I'm going to quote, it said, this fella paddled over, jumped off his board onto the shark and hit it repeatedly in the head to get it to let go of his wife and then he assisted her to the beach why did he do that come on why would anybody fight a great white shark because they had the one you love so what did he do come on guys you know you know this i'd climb the tallest mountain for you yes all right so here's the deal guys we we know i the guy I was talking to after service today i said if you go home today and your wife is in the house and the house is burning. 
Are you going to wait a half a second to go in that house to get her out? He said, no, of course not. Guys, we're all cut the same way. We'll fight the fires for you. We'll fight the sharks for you. But will you fight the little foxes that are spoiling the vine? Will, will you actually love with the little things? But I would like to challenge you guys to, especially you guys, listen to me. If you and your house are going to serve the Lord, it's time for you not just to do the magnanimous big things, but can you do the little things that show love too? Would you die the thousand little deaths rather than the one big one? All right, a million little deaths. As for me and my house, if we're going to serve the Lord, it starts with me loving my house the way Jesus said to. And he said that I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Listen to this. And gave himself up for her. How did Jesus do it? He died on a cross for the ones he loved. Guys, it's not just the big moment of death, though. It's the thousand little moments of death. It's doing the right thing when you don't want to. It's answering the gentle way when you want to fight. It's going the extra way to love when you want to be selfish. The power of love is not in the big stuff. It's in the little stuff. So what I want to invite you to do today is know that God has showed his love for us. And if you're going to make Jesus the Lord of your household and the Lord of your life, well, then it's going to start with Jesus making you the Lord of you. So I'd like you to bow your heads with me in this room today. And I want to ask you a very, very simple question. Is Jesus the Lord of you? If he is not, it is a great day to make him your Lord. It is a great day. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of you today, today's your day to be saved. Just lift your hand up. I want to pray with you right now. If you're in this room and today is your yes. Are there others? Around this room, that's me. I want to make Jesus my Lord. Yes. Yes. This is our prayer. Nobody pray alone at Harvest Church. Can we do this together? Everybody together out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. For being resurrected from the dead and having power over all the world. I submit to you. Be my Lord. Take my life. Give me yours. Thank you. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, guess what happened? Jesus took you at your word. You are now his child, and he just gave you his life. This is how we're going to end today. I'm going to ask you to stand around this room. And if you're sitting somewhere close to somebody in your family, just reach out your hand and grab their hand. I'm not a big hand holder except for her. So if you're in the same family, reach over and grab a hand, all right? Grab that hand. And we're going to make this declaration together. Y'all ready? Can we do it together? Here we go. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Y'all ready? Let's do it again. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Starts with me and in my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, I pray that that would be the truth 
in every house represented here in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you want somebody to pray with you about anything today, you want somebody to pray about sickness, about marriage, about anything going on, we have prayer teams up here. God bless you guys. Have a great week.